What an exciting time uh, to watch our young people grow up. Look, I'll be honest, for this daddy, <laughs> uh, kind of a kind of sad time, too, uh, to consider um, our home dynamic with our two boys moving on. So um, thank you, graduates, parents, for being a part of this. It's, I appreciate that. Um, I'd like to open in a word of prayer before we consider anything else. Uh, our Father, we thank you for the Bible, um, the truth of your word. We thank you, God, that it's not man's opinion. We thank you that it's not just a good idea or like any other book. But this is your word to us. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, to teach us. Please help us understand in a greater way what these truths mean to us. So, God, we look forward to hearing what you have, and, and we praise things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Ephesians chapter 6, we be, begun a whole series a while ago on spiritual warfare, on, on, on what, the war that we face. And uh, uh, for those, just to remind you, is that there's an invisible war going on, and everything that we see in the physical, visible realms affected by what's taking place in the spiritual, invisible realm. We need to remember that. Um, we only need to look around and see the brokenness in our world and the hurt, the pain, and the addictions to realize the enemy is having a field day in many lives and many homes. But I'm grateful God didn't just say, hey, go figure it out. He gave us his word. And specifically last three weeks, he's provided armor so you and I could walk in the victory he's already secured. And so I want to read about that again, and we'll look at the last two pieces of these armor. Verse 10 of Ephesians 6 says, Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Ephesians 6, 10, and 11 tell us stand firm. It's a call to stand firm in the victory that's already been won. We don't fight for victory. We fight from a position of victory. Don't forget that. Because the moment we think we're fighting for victory, we've kind of turned the clock back to good works. And kind of our efforts, our abilities. But we stand firm in the victory already secured in Jesus Christ. And how do we live that out? God says, I got some armor for you. And I want you to get dressed up in me. And what does that look like? Well, putting on that truth belt. That's the thing that holds it all together. God's objective truth, which is true for all people in all places at all times. He says, put it on and keep it on. And attached to that truth plate, the, belt, the breastplate of righteousness in other words, we're dressed in the righteousness of Christ, and when we live righteously, practic practical righteousness, we experience great victory. God says, I've given you a piece of armor, keep it on. 
Make sure it doesn't get out of place because it'll affect your heart. Bad things happen when we don't have the breastplate of righteousness in place. Then he says, I want you to put down the right shoes. Shoes of the gospel, the gospel of peace. First be peace at peace with God through Jesus Christ. It's called being born again. But then experience the peace of God as you walk in obedience. If you do, it'll protect you. And so put those things on. But then he talks about taking up a different verb. This is something that we need. It's something we pick up. By implication, if we can pick it up, we cannot pick it up. And if you don't pick it up, you're vulnerable. He started out with the shield of faith. In a sense, we hide behind God's promises. We exercise faith in them. So when the demonic attacks come, we say, well, time out. I stand in God's promise that greater is he that is within me than he that is within the world. So we take up the shield. And now the last two. I couldn't, as I went through this, I could not help but think of the graduates. And so graduates, as you're launched forward, you really need to pay attention this morning. We all do. But this will really help you as you take a big transition step, step graduates. It starts again with God's truth, that ultimate reality, over man's opinion. I remember Angela, one of the first, I think it was the first semester she was in college, she mentioned, Dad, you won't believe this. I, I went into one of my classes and I had our teacher say, please don't call me Mr., Please don't call me Mrs. because I'm a it. She's like, really? You're pregnant. <laughs> you know, Cindy's like, you gotta, or Angela's like, really? That's, that's weird. But that's what you step into. The type of world that is anti-God, and we see it more and more. And so we stand on God's truth, and God's telling us the truth here. Now, the NFL, for years, has been trying to get a handle on this concussion thing. You see, what's going on is the helmets are not absorbing the full shock of the hits that these players are taking. And because of that, their brain gets damaged. It impedes the function of their body. Matter of fact, many retired NFL players are having real trouble because their brain's been damaged. And so they're trying to make these helmets as good as they can to absorb as much shock as they can because the brain controls and governs the body. Spiritually speaking, our mind governs our hearts. It's connected to our hearts. And so if our mind, spiritually speaking, is damaged, it will control how we live. No wonder God says you need to put on a helmet. You need to protect your mind. It's such a huge, important thing to protect our mind. But this isn't just any helmet. It's a helmet that's meant, again, to guard and protect our mind, our thoughts, the control center. It's a helmet made to absorb the blows from the enemy. And this helmet, he says, is a helmet of salvation. 1 Thessalonians 5.8 is one such example of this connection, of this helmet used in connection with salvation. You also find it in Isaiah 59.16 and 17. 1 Thessalonians 5.8 we read this, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. So we see that connection, this helmet of salvation. Now in Ephesians 6, it's important we remember the context. Paul's writing to a church. He's writing to saved people. And yet he's telling them to put on the helmet of salvation. 
What's he telling him? Well, as a saved person, think like a saved person. Think in accordance with what's already taken place. And so he tells saved people to think like a saved person, to pick up, to take up this helmet of salvation. But again, it also implies that they could leave it unpicked up. What does that mean? Simply this, that a saved person, it's possible for a saved person not to think like a saved person. I mean, we see it, right? We see people who claim the name of Jesus, tell you when they gave their life to Jesus Christ, and you look at their life, and it's like no different. They haven't put on the helmet, and they become vulnerable, and you see an outward expression of that. Paul says, hey, if you want to be protected in this thing called spiritual warfare, you better pick up this helmet of salvation. Now, we know from the scriptures that salvation really has a past, present, future dynamic. If, I was, if you were to ask the average person, what does it mean to be saved or delivered, you would say, well, I am saved, and I've been saved from sin. And if they have a little greater understanding, they might say, well, I've been saved from hell, and so I'm saved. But that's not the only aspect of salvation. If that's the only aspect you look at, maybe you don't have a very clear understanding of it. We have been saved from those things. We have been saved from sin, sin's penalty, hell. We've been delivered. But Scripture says we are also being saved. It's this process of sanctification. God's not done with us yet. He's still at work with us. Then the Scriptures also speak to this future element. In a sense, I will be saved for all of eternity. And so salvation's much more than often we think about. And I think Paul's got this in mind, that we are saved, we're in the process of being sanctified, and we have, as 1 Thessalonians 5 said, a hope of salvation. And all aspects of that, I believe, are part of that helmet we're putting on. Now, we do need to say this, because I think there's two real components here when I think of this helmet of salvation, I think the scriptures point to This is the first one. If you don't get this one, you kind of miss it all. We're saved by grace. We sung amazing grace. We've been saved by grace. You and I did nothing. We brought nothing in the table, to the table, to be saved. It's all a work of God. You've been chosen. You've been redeemed by God, by his grace. Why is that important? The minute you think you have to earn it, all of a sudden you become vulnerable in this thing called spiritual warfare. Because you're not putting on sal- the helmet of salvation because salvation's by grace. So if you're thinking you've got to earn it, that's not a helmet. You're, the helmet of salvation you're putting on, you've gone to war completely vulnerable saying, I got this. That's what you're saying. I can earn my salvation. That must mean I can earn victory. And so you are going to war without a helmet. You're in big trouble. Salvation by grace. It's got to start there. If you're to wear the helmet of salvation, you need to lay all your works aside. And say, this is, about, this is by grace. This is all God who's done this. The second aspect of salvation is, when you were saved, you were born again. The old self is crucified. You're a new person in Christ. You have a new identity. That's who you are. When you put on that helmet, you're saying, and it protects your mind and thoughts, I'm a new creation in Christ. The old's passed away. I'm new. And what's going to protect my mind is the fact I'm new. I have a new identity. I need to think in terms of being a new person. It's incredibly important. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. Paul lays out a very picturesque description of this battle. And as you read it, 
you're probably going to shake your head and say, oh my gosh, I know that. I know that battle. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh, because you're back to works again. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Okay, got it? Our warfare, we, we need divine power to demolish strongholds. For we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. As many of you go on to further your education, high school graduates, you're going to be presented with lofty explanations, lofty opinions, arguments, that will raise themselves up against the knowledge of God. You need to know the word. So when those opinions, those arguments come, uh, come towards you, you can take them, weigh them against the word and say, that's not true. That's out of here. That's not part of the way I'm going to perceive this. Whether it's economics, history, whatever it would be. If it's not accordance with the word, it's not true education. Because true education is built on true, truth. So take every argument and everything you get, and this is true for all of us, weight against the word. When we do that, we're walking in the protection of our new identity. Unless you think you got this thing wrapped, 2 Corinthians 11.3 gives us a little sobering reminder. Paul says to this church, I'm afraid that as the servant, serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. He's writing to Christians. He could say warning to you. You trusted Christ, but as you walk through this life and you haven't wore the helmet on, we have a cunning, crafty enemy who can really lead us astray. And so be very careful that you wear this helmet of salvation, that you live according to the new life in Christ. When we live according to our new life, our new identity in Christ, we block Satan from establishing strongholds. So this helmet of salvation, it's the work of God completely. It's all by grace. And it's our new identity in Christ. We line up our life according to that. So put on a helmet. Fight from that stance of victory. Standing in the grace of God and your new identity in Christ. And when the enemy comes, blow after blow, what can absorb it? This helmet of salvation. And just by way of when the battle gets old and it gets weary, remember there's coming a day. Salvation will be consummated because the blows are temporary, but salvation's eternal. And that's our hope. That's the hope of salvation Paul talked about in 1 Thessalonians. And when you pick up and put on your helmet of salvation... You're proclaiming to the demonic forces that because of your salvation, God's given you victory. And it's all by grace. It's all his work. You're not standing in any efforts you brought to the table. You're standing in the work of God. And you're saying, I'm a new person in Christ. And I'm going to live according to that new identity. Not to man's opinion. Not to anything else. And so stand with the helmet of salvation. I'm reading a fiction book in, in a particular storyline uh, one of the individuals in the book is put in a witness protection agency. What, what happens when that happens? Well, a person is given a new identity. They're given a new name. They're given a new address. They're told to not uh, conform to the same patterns. They're 
They're in this protection agency, which is designed to protect them. Why? Because someone's coming after them. And so they're told, go to a new location. It's the utmost importance that you live according to the new identity. You eliminate all these old patterns, all these actions, and a lot of cases, old relationships, old patterns to work, old patterns to recreation. Because if you don't, if you live according to the old identity, the Witness Protection Agency will tell you you're vulnerable because someone's after you. Well, someone's out for you. But God has a salvation protection agency. It's called the helmet of salvation. You've been given a new identity. And when you and I act according to this new life, according to the new passions he's given us, according to this new orientation of the spirit, it protects your head. However, if you live according to the old self, the old patterns, the old thoughts, you're vulnerable. If you don't believe me, look around at all the brokenness in Christians' lives. Choices they made, they expose themselves to become vulnerable. And unfortunately, we see people trying to pick up pieces who probably would be the first to admit to you, I should have wore that helmet. I didn't live according to my new identity, and because of that, I became vulnerable and allowed things into my life. Think and act according to who you are in Christ. You'll be protected. Well, it's not just in Ephesians, the last piece of armor, which some would say is the only offensive weapon. I, it's tied in really to the other one, prayer. In a second, we'll talk about that. It's the one that we can wield offensively. The sword mentioned here is not like we would think of Pirates of the Caribbean, a big sword and you know, a pirate kind of wielding. It's, it's a, like a 10-inch dagger, very sharp on the point, and had the blade on both sides, so when it, it cut going in, and it would cut coming out. That's the sword he's talking about. And we read in Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living, and it's active, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Same sword we're talking about here. It's sharp. It cuts. It pierces. It has an effect. That's the word of God. Now, here we read, in, back in Ephesians, he says, okay, listen, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, this dagger of the Spirit. Now, when we think of the word of God, we often think of what is called the graphe of God, the written word. But that's not the word used here. It's rhema. It's the declared word. In other words, we have the graphe, the written word before us, but that's not what's going to win the day. Because you can have a Bible factory and print Bibles and never wield a sword. You can have a graphe, the written word of God, and still not experience victory because you didn't have the rhema of God. What's the rhema of God? It's the declared word of God. It's the word you utter. That's exactly what it means. The uttered word. The declared word. Jesus knew we needed a perfect example, so he gave us one. When he was attacked by the enemy in the desert, the enemy attacked him. Each time he said, it is written. He declared the rhema of God, the uttered word of God. He said, it is written. And so we have the graphe, but you better learn to rhema, <laughs> to utter it, to declare it, 
because that's our offensive weapon. Too many have a Bible under their arm, but they don't know how to wield the sword. Satan likes it when we don't read. Satan likes it when you leave your Bible on a shelf, gets a little dusty. Satan likes it when you go halfway through the week and went, ah, I should have been reading my Bible. Ah, I'll wait till Sunday. Satan likes that. Well, how do we wield it then? I mean, how do we wield the word? Well, again, we declare it. And Paul makes an important connection. We, for, we often disconnect here. Notice he says, take up the helmet of salvation, verse 17, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit. There's a connection, a very significant connection. Part of our walking in victory is the rhema, the uttered word in prayer. In other words, use the word of God in your prayers. As you pray, as you walk through the day, and the enemy comes and bombards you and says, it isn't possible for you to do this. You declare the word of God in prayer and say, God, you tell me that in you I have strength. Lord, I pray for strength today. When the enemy comes and says, you know what? I know you're down to five cents and, 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 and you have no money in the bank. It's over. You might as well just give up. But then you remember the word of God, the graphe, says, God's met all my needs according to his riches in Christ. And so, God, I come to you right now and thank you for that promise. And I declare that promise in prayer. That's wielding the sword. That's declaring and uttering the word of God. When you do that, it has an impact. It's sharp. It cuts to the joint marrow. If you don't know God's word well, well enough to wield it against the devil... Don't wonder why you're walking a defeated life. Don't wonder why you have no authority, because that's why. You and I need the word of God. We need to know the word of God. The enemy, when he's in your face, he can't handle the rhema. He can't handle the declared word of God. Oh, he can handle your word and man's opinions and arguments, but, but not the word. Now think about this for a second. If the living word needed to use the written word, to deal with the enemy of the word, how much more do you and I, who've written no word, need to declare the written word to the enemy of the word? How much more? We need to declare it. We need to stand in it. We need to know it. Satan is continually harassing some here because he knows you're not going to draw the sword. But draw the sword. If you want to walk in victory, you got to know how to draw the sword. There's a connection. If you don't open your graphe, the written word, you won't have the rhema to speak. You won't have the sword. Who is it you think that seeks out to keep you from the word? I mean, all those times you're like, ah, oh, I, I should open the word, but I got this to do. Or all those, those times you, that, that you feel that temptation to do something else, where do you think that comes from? The enemy. He wants to keep you from God's word because he knows if he keeps you from it, you can't declare it. There's no victory in our word. Now, this is a little participation for you, okay? I need you to fill in the blanks for me, okay? We'll see how you do. M&Ms, they melt in your mouth. Oh, you guys are good. You're good. Hallmark, when you care enough to. Whew, good one. Capital One, what's in? For my generation, two all beef patty, special sauce, lettuce, cheese. 
You guys are good. Good. Okay, if anyone is in Christ, ooh, we're a good church. You're good. But isn't it amazing, though, how many jingles, how many commercials, how many words from Carrie Underwood's song we can quote, but when it comes to Scripture, we got nothing. And we wonder why we're defeated. We need the Word of God in our mind, in our heart, and to be able to declare it to walk in victory. So when you're under attack, wield the offensive weapon. Your, un- your enemy can't hang with the Word. So get in it. Personalize it. Declare it. Because that's that rhema that plunges deep and has an impact when we utter the word. Applications. Neil Anderson once said, you can't expect God to protect you from demonic influences if you don't take an active part in his prepared strategy. That's why we're told to put on and take up what God's already provided for us. Now, I confess I'm a setter. It's true. And what I mean by that is the night before, I set out my clothes for the next day. I'm a setter, and I'm proud of it, by the way. And and the reason I do that is because I need in the morning to get up with a mindset of being ready. I hate getting up, and and as dumb as it sounds, now i got to pick out clothes before I'm even ready. But if I set them out, I'm ready when I get up. Now, I don't know how many setters there are in the house, and, uh, and setting clothes is good. Um, but you need to be prepared for the battle. You, you need to set out the armor. You need to make sure that you have the belt in place. You're living according to God's truth. If not, you're vulnerable. And so discipline yourself to evaluate your armor. Make sure it's in good shape. Make sure you're ready for battle each morning. How about your breastplate? Are you robed in his righteousness? Do you see yourself in Christ? And are you pursuing practical righteousness or pursuing right living? If you are, there's some protection in place. If you're not pursuing right living, it's out of place. You're vulnerable. And of all places, your heart is vulnerable. How about your shoes? Are you stabilized by the peace of God? Are you living in this peace of God which passes all understanding? Have you taken up the shield of faith? Are you believing God's promises? The helmet of salvation, are you living in the reality of your redemption secured by Christ and Christ alone? And are you living according to your new identity? And the sword of the Spirit, are you reading, learning God's word so you can declare it? Discipline yourself to evaluate your armor. And by that, just think in terms of, you know, if you're feeling defeated and you're really struggling, step back, go to Ephesians 6 and say, let me evaluate, how am I doing? Why am I defeated? I guarantee you're going to come to one of these and say, yeah, there it is. I've left myself vulnerable. It's very helpful to evaluate your life through the lens of these uh, pieces of armor. And secondly, based really on this uh, last two pieces, include scripture in your prayers. I mean, Paul makes that incredible connection, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, all times, in the Spirit. And so you take the Word of God, you go to prayer, and the Holy Spirit takes that Word you declared in prayer, notice the connection, it's the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, pray in the Spirit. 
The Spirit takes the word that you've declared and helps you live it out. It's the power of the Holy Spirit we've been given. That's why we can have the mind set on the Spirit because we have the rhema we've declared and the Spirit takes that word of God and changes us and helps you and I to walk in victory. So intentionally include Scripture in your prayers because weapons used properly in prayer is how we put weapons into action. God's provided some pretty cool armor. And, and he's provided so you and I could walk in victory and experience all that he has for you. It's true, it's a war. It's true, it's hard. But get dressed up in your army, armor and walk in the victory that you and I have in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I love your word. I, I just love the clarity it brings into my life. And certainly true this week and this morning as I open it, I'm so grateful I'm able to look at this armor and really see um, areas I fall short and areas I need to uh, become more secure in and to be more intentional in. And so God, thank you for your word. The word of God, the sword of the spirit. Lord, help each and every one of us here to walk in the victory that you've already secured. Help us to stand against the schemes of the enemy. Lord, I pray that we would tear down strongholds and any lofty things that raises itself up against your truth. So God, our mind would be protected. Our hearts would be protected. And Lord, the enemy would not get a foothold in our lives. Because God, we know when we walk in victory, we're going to have the greatest impact. We'll have the greatest peace and joy we could ever experience. And so thank you so much for that hope and that promise and for the help we have. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.